I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Luck as falls and attack positions. Prepare for battle! Autobots, roll out! Get ready, it's your weekly dose of nerd culture. All wings report in. With your crew, Obi-John Kenobi. Hello there. Commander Scott. Nothing amazing about it. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Julian. You tell him I'm coming! And hell's coming with me, you hear? And the Doc. Great Scott. Movies, TV, streaming, video games, comic books, board games, toys, collectibles, cosplay, conventions. If it's happening in the world of geekdom, we're talking about it. So lock and load, bag and board, and roll for initiative. We've got your... Nerd Hello there. So it'll be John Kenobi, your favorite host in all of podcasting. And I guess this week I should say, um, uh, what's the traditional uh, greetings in, in, in felicitations? Is that what you say, Scott? Is that the thing? Yes. Yeah. That's, say that that's, I use that quite a bit, yes. Because we're jumping to a whole new universe this week. We're going boldly. Where no podcast, I'm sure, has ever gone before. Uh, breaking a whole new ground. Uh, hitting virgin planets. Uh, 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 going to strange new worlds. On, on uh, 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 This is why I need to prep. The intro is better. Uh, <laughs> uh, heading towards the undiscovered country. To that final frontier. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Yes, yes. These are the voyages of the podcast Nerd Alert. Uh, <laughs> welcome to an all-new episode. Uh, if you couldn't tell from that super subtle teaser, we're stalking tar. We're, st- we're stalking Tar Trek. Wow, we're stalking. Tar- we're stalking Tar Trek. <laughs> red leather, yellow leather. Red leather, yellow leather. Quick kiss, quicker kiss. Okay. <clears throat> <laughs> if that's not Take the title two. of the show, something's wrong. We're we're talking Trek this week. <laughs> <laughs> if I can get the words out. Uh and we could not do that at all, or at least we wouldn't, because we look like idiots. Um without my right hand man, the man who keeps the nerd and the top nerdy to me network. He's gonna earn his name today. It's Commander Scott. Hello, hello, hello. Um so uh once again, learn something new this week because I try to learn something new every week. Something that I never knew before. You know what absolute zero is, right? If I say absolute zero, everybody yep. knows what that means. I do. Do, do you, Obi John? Do, do you know what it means? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, for those that may not, degrees 
Kelvin, huh? You yeah. Know Kelvin. Kelvin, yes. Kelvin, you get it? Yes. Because Star Trek, Kelvin. See, uh. see how I did a subtle tie in there, actually? Yeah. Right. I yeah. see how you were trying to, and then I see how Jay just beat it over the head with a club. He did, but it's Kelvin. okay. It's Kelvin, guys. Kelvin. It's Kelvin. Kelvin. It's the Kelvin. Kelvin. Absolute zero. Zero on the Kelvin scale, correct. But did you know that there actually is an upper limit to the Kelvin scale? There is an, for lack of a better term, absolute hot. It's positively Kelvin. Hell! Oh! I'll see myself out now. Oh. You'll have a good show. Wow. But yes, there is an upper limit to the Kelvin scale. It is actually uh, 1.146785 times 10 to the 32 Kelvin. So for those that don't know scientific notation, of course, you, you take the decimal point in that 1.146785 and you move it 32 decimal places to the right. It gives you a really, really large number. This is known as Planck temperature. And it is known as Planck temperature because the universe was at this temperature after the Big Bang for approximately uh, 1.6 times 10 to the negative 43rd seconds, which is also known as Planck time because it comes from Planck's constant. Yeah. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look up. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're talking really big and really little numbers right there. Really big and really little numbers. And there's a second tie-in to this, too. There's a second Trek tie-in to this. Let's see if Jay can beat us over the head with this tie-in. What? 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 what, what, What's that? No? Well, I was waiting for the tie-in. Is it? Yeah, we thought it was coming. Oh. Well, that was a delay on that. Sorry. So, uh, in the 24th century... Star Trek The Next Generation, <laughs> Deep Space Nine, Voyager era. Um, the warp drive used on those ships is not the same warp drive that is used in uh, the original series and stuff, which is why the warp scale is re, uh, redrawn in Next Generation time. Next Generation era actually uses um, um, <laughs> asymmetrical peristaltic field manipulation. Okay? Which means that the warp field ensures that the ship never actually remains at light speed for longer than Planck time, which is huh. 0.6 times 10 to the negative 43rd seconds. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, you said I was going to earn my name this week, so I've got to do it. Red alert. I wasn't asleep again. <laughs> here. Here's my big red thing. Nice. Uh, and routing out uh, <laughs> uh, our 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 quartet. The um, okay, hold on, I gotta think. Um, okay, he is the Captain Kirk to Commander Scott's Spock and my bones. Giggity. Uh, <laughs> he's joining us from somewhere in time and space via. Uh, normally, I would say Delorean. But this time I would say via a uh, temporal uh, rift. Uh, I think that's what they used in the first contact. It's the doc. <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a Commander Scott on you guys with a uh-huh. did you know kind of fact. Uh, here Uh-oh. we go. So I had parent teacher conferences. Uh, I knew John that. And I were talking about ah, that. Just tell me. See? 
And uh, one parent came in, and I have all my, like, autographed pictures and movie posters and stuff around my room. And, you know, for the kids to look at and be like, oh, you met this person? Well, parents come in, and they're like, wow, you met these people? And we he saw my um, autographed picture of Walter Koenig. Right? Say, say his last name. Koenig. 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 Yeah. Sorry. Um for that I got for my dad a long time ago when we started talking about Star Trek and he dropped this nerd fact on me that in the voyage home when Chekhov is searching for nuclear vessels and somebody he somebody walks by and I have it pulled up here he says uh please please we're looking for the naval base in Alameda can you tell us where the nuclear vessels are Yep, and they say, "Oh, I don't know if I, I don't know the answer to that. I think it's across the bay in it's Alameda. The bay in Alameda, yes, yes, Alameda. That's, says, what that, 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 that's what I said. Alameda, I know that." And then Uhura says, "Well, where's Alameda?" So apparently, that mm-hmm. was just some lady mm-hmm. uh, who came down out of her apartment and just was walking by, and it was not scripted, and uh, uh, they. <laughs> wanted it to be left in this is what the parent told me so i'm sure scott cox will correct me yeah sorry so that's not entirely true okay close. she she was not an actress she just happened to be in the area uh she did live in the area where they were filming but uh you know whenever they're going to film on location usually the night before they go in and they put up signs that the area is going to be closed for filming for the next day and people need to, you know, move their cars and park elsewhere. Well, she did not do that. She parked in her normal spot and went up to her apartment. Well, she came down that day um, and her car had been towed because the production company towed it because they had, yeah. you know, all the, the, the necessary filed paperwork to, to do what they were doing. So um, she basically approached uh, the, the, the gentleman who seemed to be in charge of what was going on that day. And talked her way into being an extra so that she could earn enough money to get her car out of out of storage, to get her car back. Um, because, you know, all the other people, the the cop and the, all the other people they ask in that scene are, are, are extras. So she talked her way into, well, let me be an extra and, you know, pay me enough. I'll get my car back and everything will be good. But she's, she wasn't an extra. Uh, she, she'd never done this before. So she didn't realize that extras don't talk. So when she filmed her scene, they asked her the question. She just responded. That was just her off the cuff. <laughs> the director liked it so much. He wanted it to be left in. But in order to do that, they had to get her a SAG card so that she could have lines on camera. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I knew. That, see, he, he also knew that part. Um, but his his version was that she was just a random person that, and that it was enjoyed so much that they left it in. But yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. And I love that part of that movie. <laughs> He's like, if we're looking for the nuclear vessels. Nuclear vessels. <laughs> this is Alameda. I know this, but where is Alameda? <laughs> name? My name? No, my name. Well, I don't know your name. <laughs> oh, I mean, we could talk about, you know, Obi-Jan's favorite Trek movie all night long. Uh, it's just filled with so much great storytelling. Um, you know, Scott, it's not my least favorite Trek movie either, so. This is very true. 
I know which one well, is your favorite. You do worse. <laughs> I just but like we'll get to that they, later. I just like it because they're flying around in the in the Klingon bird of prey. Because I'm just going to be honest with you. That's what I've always wanted is a Klingon bird of prey. What kind? The the one from oh, the that movie. That one is the, there's there's different classifications of that one depending on which house builds it. Yeah, you Jay, know, we're talking it, Trek this week, so you got to get yeah. on a whole different level of nerdy, right? This is why I did homework, okay? Uh, actually, <laughs> I, I can I can get the uh, you got to know your bird, shit this week, or we're gonna I've get the bird of prey Haynes manual right here. So before we get into that technical level, let's keep things a little more pedestrian. Uh, we have two topics this week. Um, well, we had five, but I made Jay narrow it down to one, and then he gave me two, so I just said, okay, fine, two. Um, <laughs> that's, how, that's how the show works. Uh, but to make sure it's not a 12-and-a-half-hour epic, we're only going to limit ourselves to two topics today. And we're already kind of on the first one, so we're just going to jump right into that, which is, to give you a bit of a frame of reference of where we're all coming from, what is our favorite Star Trek motion picture? Oh, we're going to that one. Okay. I thought we were going to the other one. But we're already on that. Yeah. Uh, as you all know, uh, like Scott, spoiled for you, mine is clearly uh, The Voyage Home. Yep. He loves Star it. Trek 4, the one with the whales. You yep. can't get enough just, of it. It is peak Star Trek. It never got any better than that. Uh, it wasn't at all stupid and watered down to uh, appease mass audiences and didn't make caricatures out of our heroes. No, not at all. It's, it's fine. I love watching the Enterprise crew run around on a fucking Klingon bird of prey. But it did have a great custom written and performed death metal song just for this movie. Look, that movie gets a pass for one reason only, and you know what that is, Scott. Hello, computer. Hello, computer. <laughs> just use the keyboard. <laughs> uh, I hate that movie. Uh, no, but we're gonna. Talk, so we're just gonna go around the horn and um, sound off on what our favorite Star Trek film is, not series. We're talking just the films. Um, and Jay, this was your topic, so start us out. Well, so sorry, sorry. I meant Jay. You have the con. <laughs> oh, thanks. Um, so I, I know that the classic, the classic. The classic response would be um, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, which I love. I love that movie. Mm. But actually, my favorite Star Trek is the 2009 reboot. All right. Is, go ahead. Yeah. Get into the Kelvin. Here we go. There is nothing <laughs> wrong with that movie. That's a beautiful movie. And I, I so here's this is my take on it. I like it because it reintroduced Star Trek to a new generation of fans. Cause like you had, you, you had like your original kind of Trekkies and then, you know, the next generation, that group. And this is just kind of like introducing it to a new level of people. And the reason it's my favorite one is because, um, I took a friend of mine to go see it in theaters. So here was our deal. I would go see the midnight showing of the second Transformers movie. I'll say that again slower. I would go with him 
to see the midnight showing of the second Transformers movie. So, I hope in re- he had a good nap, is what I heard. Yeah. In return, I said, I get to pick a movie you have to go see. And he said, okay, fine. And I said, we're going to go see Star Trek. And he goes, I don't know anything about Star Trek. And I was like, too bad. And we <laughs> went, because I knew I knew it was a reboot. I said, you don't, you don't really need to know anything. You can have some previous knowledge on the subject, and you'd be okay. You could have no knowledge on the subject, and you'll still be okay. He was, like, on the edge of his seat in the action scenes. He was totally into it. Um, there is a lot of good comedy. It star. It doesn't star, but it includes Carl fucking Urban. Uh, and we all love him. Thank you for using um, his full name. I appreciate that. <laughs> and it, like... It made Star Trek more of an action movie. And I don't... I know that a lot of the Star Trek movies, there's not a whole lot that goes on as far as action goes. And this had a lot more of it, and I really enjoyed that because I get kind of bored sometimes unless there's stuff going on. (laughs) Just be honest with you. Uh, And... uh, Here's my like how successful a movie really is. Hello? Yes. Yes. Uh, My barometer for how successful a movie like that is, because you're right, Jay, the the whole idea for that was let's reboot Star Trek. Let's start all over again. They wanted to appeal to, again, as wide an audience as possible. So whether you're a huge Trek fan or you've never, like, they didn't just want the the Trekkies to come out. They wanted everyone to come see this movie. My parents... Yes, both of them, not just Dale, Nancy Peacock made a point to go see this movie, and they both had a blast start to finish. When a Star Trek motion picture can appease both Dale and Nancy Peacock, you have achieved a miracle. Yeah. Um... Uh, And I, sorry, I just have some quick numbers because I had it pulled up here. So, mm-hmm. opening day, it grossed four million dollars. Uh, we don't care the, about that. Give us, give us the, give us the total worldwide box office on that. By the end of the weekend, seventy nine million two hundred four thousand three hundred dollars, and thirty five and a half million from other countries. And then, worldwide total worldwide gross of three hundred eighty five million four hundred ninety four thousand five hundred fifty five. Thank you, Box Office Mojo. I mean, Jason, sorry. (laughs) Uh, So it did well. And it also, I saw this in here, it made uh, $8.5 million from its IMAX screenings, which broke The Dark Knight's 6.3 million IMAX record. Nice. It is, uh, I believe, at current, it is the second highest grossing Star Trek film in history. Uh, behind only into darkness, uh, which we could totally play the the sequel card on that one, but we won't. Um, yeah, no, it uh, it definitely did its job of revitalizing the Star Trek film franchise. Well, I mean, you know, I've been a Trek fan since technically before Next Generation. Um, I watched the original series on reruns on Sunday afternoon with with my dad, 
when I was young. My uncle was a huge Star Trek fan. He showed me all the films and stuff. And then, of course, Next Generation came out, and, and I went all the way through that and Deep Space Nine and everything. And I went to see this movie nine times in theaters. Damn. I took full advantage of this movie being in theaters, uh, and and I was like, I'm going to see this now. I, I when it came out, I knew I was going to go, you know, at least twice. But what kept bringing me back, in all honesty, was that opening sequence. Just yeah. that whole that whole opening thing with the Kelvin and then Captain the attack Thor. by the Dorada uh, and everything. Just the 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 the. The way it looked, the sounds, you know, because it had such wonderful sound editing. Because not only did you have, you know, some some modern effects and everything in there, like there was a lot of throwback Trek sound effects from the bridge sounds to the way the the phasers fired. Because when the phasers fired, you you heard that that lovely capacitor discharge that, that was mixed in there from the original series. Um. Just, just the the sound editing alone in that opening sequence was was beautiful and wonderful. Um, now they toned it down a bit once you get you know into the meat of the story and you get to the Enterprise and stuff, because they wanna they wanna have a little bit more of their own new stuff, obviously, which is fine. Um, but yeah, I loved it. I kept going back. Um, of course, one of the the the, the glaring continuity problems with it was, you know, Chekhov's age, but it was completely understandable why they did that. I, I, I don't fault them at all for that. Um, and then, you know, of course they destroyed Vulcan and when they destroyed Vulcan, um, and Spock showed up and they did the, the, the whole thing with, with, uh, you know, Spock telling Kirk where he was from, did the mind meld and, 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 they just they told of the Hobus star going supernova. I about lost my shit the first time I saw that, and the reason I did was because so there, there's a there's there's an online massively multiplayer game Star Trek Online. It's been around for several years now, a number of years. It's been around since good lord 2006, 2007, something like that. I don't remember when, but um, when it when it came out and everything. Actually, it probably came out in 2008, I think. Anyway, the the, the game takes place many years after... Uh, 2009. Huh? What well, does take place in 2009. Or the game? No, the game. The film came out in... Okay, 2009. Yeah, the game came out in like 2007, 2008, something like that. And the, the game takes place many years after Nemesis. They, they set it far, you know, about... 40 or 50 years after the last Star Trek movie because they didn't want to run into any, any problems with that. But on their website, they had this this thing which was called Path to... Good Lord, what is it? Uh, 2441, which I think was when the game takes place. Anyway, 2443, something like that. They, they listed... they would each, each month, they would list basically the major events in Star Trek Universe that happened between Nemesis and the game. They would just list major events, and they were slowly filling it in over time, right? Well, the month prior to the movie's release, one of the events that they that they list was the Hobus star going Nova, the destruction of Romulus, and the death of Ambassador Spock attempting to stop the destruction of Romulus. So, 
all of us hardcore Star Trek fans who who were playing Star Trek online and, and were reading the events, Spock was dead. And Ambassador Picard gave his eulogy. Uh, and then the movie comes out, and here comes Spock through a wormhole. I'm like, holy shit, he's not dead. They they tied it in, and it was gorgeous, and it was wonderful. Um, and, and then we get to the end, you know, when they're the Narada is trapped in a singularity of its own making because the because Spock rams it with the the red matter and everything. I thought, oh, this is where we're gonna do the crossover and we're gonna reset the timeline. And then they didn't reset the timeline. The timeline stayed, and I love that. That was beautiful. It was gorgeous, and it was a wonderful decision because it's the best way you can reboot this, have discrepancies, and not piss off regular Star Trek fans, which is hard to do. No, that is. The 2009 Trek film is potentially the best franchise reboot ever done. Uh, and, and granted, because it's Trek, it opens up some doors you don't necessarily get to for other franchises. But the fact that they set it in an alternate timeline is whoever came up with that idea. Well, there was J.J. Abrams or one of the writers or whoever. But whoever had that idea deserves a freaking medal. Uh, because like you said, Scott. It's the only way this could have worked. Yep. Uh, otherwise, you're rehashing stories the hardcore fans already know and have already seen, and you're just going to piss them off because you're not doing things perfectly. The Trek is one of those fandoms where you can't ever just say, oh, it's just a discrepancy between shooting. Or, oh, it's, it's just uh, uh, we just changed the model between shooting movies. Or that There has to be an in-universe reason for fucking everything. We're Trek. We, we yeah. like it that way. You're something, all right. Um, so <laughs> by setting it in a complete, by saying we want to use the original series characters because those are the the ones most associated with this franchise, and we want to continue those characters for a new generation. We don't want to be tied to everything that came before. We don't want to be tied to uh, um, special effects and costuming that are at that point 40, 50 years old. Yep. We want to make it new and fresh. Okay, here's you go. We're doing a complete, you know, we'll start. We had a, a, a to a point, everything was the same. And then this Kelvin event happens. And now, you know, just like Doc, Doc Brown in Bath the Future Part 2 on his chalkboard. And here we split off. And now we are on a divergent timeline yep. uh, where from this point on, everything is new and different. Um, that was such a genius conceit. Uh, for for not only this film, but it was it was if you're if the whole point was and it was to set up a franchise that's ingenious because now you've paid homage to the original, you've you've got you got your Leonard Nimoy cameo, so you've got some cred with the the hardcore fans, but you have completely cleared the way for any story you want to tell with this crew and this ship going forward. You're totally set to go. <clears throat> yep. And then what do and we do with this? Then you awesome. shit the bed. We we just completely so rehash Khan. Let's take what is arguably the best Trek movie and and certainly one of the most popular Trek movies ever, the one that saved the franchise back in the day. Let's remake that. Uh, <sighs> well, I mean, but... so real quick, when when it when it comes to in, in, Into Darkness, I mean, uh, personally, I would have preferred if they had not done that. I would have just liked them to have done a completely original story. You know, send send the crew off, do some exploration, give us, you know, give us a giant green space hand or something. Um, but they, they chose to do con. OK, you choose to do con. That That's fine. You want to do it. I got no problems with that. But they had, in my opinion, uh, three really bad decisions with this story. 
one, you try to give us the red herring that the main, the main, the, the Benedict Cumberbatch is not con. When literally every Star Trek fan goes into this movie knowing it's con. From we get to that first, from the first trailer. Oh, he's con. Yeah. We, we get to that weird, overly dramatic reveal where he goes, I am con. And like literally everybody goes, yeah, we know. Let's go. <laughs> so you got that, which was unnecessary. Two, you bring in to you bring in the ability of the enhanced transporter technology from the first movie to beam Khan from Earth directly to Kronos. And that's just that's just that's just world breaking technology there. That's just I mean, I, I don't I don't get it. I don't it led to I don't know I didn't like it it didn't feel right it led to a weird conflict side thing that they really didn't need uh, they could have just had him beaming to a starship that he commandeers or something and had Enterprise chase them down or something like that I don't know and the third major problem with it is the flip flop you've got Khan at the beginning in act one is the villain He's the guy we're going after. He's he's blown up Starfleet. He's he's blown up Section Thirty One. He's killed Federation lives. He's retreated to Kronos. Oh, we've got to stop him. And then you get to Act Two, and you're like, wait, no, Khan's not really the bad guy here. Khan's actually just a victim. Admiral Marcus is the bad guy, and he has this huge badass ship. Once again, I really hate it when all they do is just give bigger and bigger ships for them to fight. That's just dumb, and they should never do that. Um. Um. And and then a little and then bit we, of. Uh... Well, and a little then bit we, of a spoiler to JJ's Star Wars films that would come. Yeah, later. yeah. The, the, I love <laughs> just JJ give him a bigger but, ship. It's fine. just bigger ships. Just just bigger super weapons. Yeah, that's, the Death that's, Star was bigger. Them now, yeah, yeah. Um, and then and then and then we get to Act Three, and it's like, oh no, uh, Khan killed the Admiral. Now we're back to Khan being the bad guy. This movie cannot keep a consistent uh, 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 antagonist in this film. It's really annoying. It's like the Enterprise crew is a ping pong in a big ping pong game in this movie. We're going to fight him. No, we're going to fight him. Now we're back to fighting him. No, now we're back to fighting him. What the fuck? Just fight somebody. I don't give a shit now. Well, really, um, what royally pissed me off is they tried to pull the uh, the Wrath of Khan death, even though they swap places. And they, 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 they oh, look, Kirk is going to die nobly for everyone. And the, 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 and the, the uh, whatever, yeah. the actor thing. And we'll do the, we'll literally take the most famous, okay, second most famous scene from that movie and swap the places around and look, okay, well, here's, here's why that worked in the original wrath of Khan. Uh At this point, the actors are getting older. Nimoy markedly has, has had a on again, off again, uh, romance with the character of Spock. We don't know. We we don't know if this is going to be a franchise after this movie or not, because it's, it's, it's the second Trek film and we're trying again because the first one didn't quite work. It, It was legitimately believable for anyone in that theater watching wrath of Khan, that that was the end of Spock. Yes. That he was done. And, and that, okay, well, this is Leonard Nimoy's out. He doesn't want to play the character anymore. Cool, fine. Not a single fucking person in that theater believed for a second Chris Pine was going to die in that movie. Yeah. Not only that, it, but in the original, in, in, in the original Star Trek 2, they don't, they don't like immediately, like literally 30 seconds after the character dies, oh, now here's the mechanism we're going to use to bring him back. They leave him dead yeah. for the movie. Yep, it's an entire third movie to go get Spock back. Yeah, uh, you know. So yeah, you, you it's 
yeah, I, I, I fucking hate In the Darkness. Um, but we're not here to talk about Star Trek movies we don't like, because we'd be here all day talking about the <laughs> fucking whales. We're here to talk about the movies we do love. Um, and if we're on the, the Kelvin timeline, let's just jump right to the best one, Star Trek Beyond, um, which is tied for my favorite Star Trek movie. Um, but I just want to talk about it because this movie criminally underrated. It criminally is criminally underrated. Yeah, uh, it's got an eighty-six percent uh, score on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics and eighty percent from fans. I think that's a bit low. Uh, it came out during the correct me if I'm wrong. It's got fiftieth anniversary of Trek, or was it sixtieth? No, it was. Uh, it was actually. Uh, it was after the fiftieth. It was like the year after the fiftieth. Okay. Okay. Because. Paramount CBS basically, well, CBS mainly because Paramount really wasn't that much in the picture other than Red uh, Bad Robot. Um, but they literally drugged their ass through the 50th anniversary. They did no prep work. They had nothing to release during the 50th that was good. They 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 rushed beyond just a little bit, I think, to try and get it there. But even that fell a little short of the actual 50th. Um, they had no merchandise tie-in. I don't know what it is. It's like the 50th anniversary of one of the biggest franchises in, in television and movie history. And you got nothing for the fans. Well, the 51st anniversary was great because we got Star Trek Beyond, which is, I think, not only the best in the Kelvin timeline, but uh, if you're new to this, go watch 2009 Trek. Skip Into Darkness completely because not a damn thing that happens in Into Darkness at all comes back to play in Beyond. Just go right to Beyond. Beyond is yeah. what we wanted to see after 2009, which is we have a blank slate. We can do whatever we want. And at the start of Beyond, it's the Enterprise on its its mission out in space exploring new worlds. That's what we wanted to see. Yeah. Uh, you get a great villain in Idris Elba. Um, stuff happens early on where the crew gets split apart. And I give the, the writers uh, immense kudos that when we broke up the crew and paired everybody off we didn't go with the pairings that we always see it wasn't kirk and spock and, and bones who were yep. always together all the time we we combined people in interesting combinations that that gave us cool character moments and let all the actors kind of shine through and gave us a new fresh kind of twist on the characters a bit like the interaction between bones and spock freaking makes that movie man it, it yeah and, and uh, scotty is the only person that i know of that, that can escape uh 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 a dying starship in a fucking torpedo. Yeah. Well, it helps that the actor playing Scotty wrote the screenplay. <laughs> That's true. But I mean, yeah, out of, out of all the principal characters, out of all seven of the cast members, you've got three of them that do not leave the ship via an escape pod. Only four of them do. No, wait, only three of them do. Okay. Yeah, four of them do not escape via an escape pod. Okay. Um, we got Uhura, that. Uhura gets taken by um, the the by Elders, Idris Elba's character because uh-huh. um, she's remember she's in the uh, the secondary hall and she completes the uh, the saucer sec- uh, saucer separation uh, with him. Kirk's still in the saucer when they separate, which is a beautiful shot. Um, uh, uh, Scotty is in engineering. He gets uh, he gets trapped, and the only way he can get himself off is uh, in a modified torpedo casing with an oxygen breather, which is beautiful as shit. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> the only way he can get himself. <laughs> 
Get him a torpedo with an oxygen tank. TMI, Scott. TMI. And then uh, uh, Spock and McCoy, if you'll if you'll notice, they are actually in a turbo lift when part of the uh, the ship tears away, and the turbo lift just flunks right out into space. They're 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 in a turbo lift in space, uh, and then they get uh, they get taken by by one of the the ships, and they board that ship and commandeer it and and crash land on the planet. So yeah, of seven primary characters, only three leave by actual escape pods. Everybody got that? There's going to be a quiz later. Uh, but beyond, so in, in, uh, apart from just getting us really cool character moments, which is really what you want to see, because so many of the original crew movies, it's Kirk, Spock, maybe some McCoy, and then everyone else is kind of like, and the rest? Like, for, the, for that movie, you know? This movie really gave every crew member a starring role. Uh, everyone got a moment. Everyone, you know, they, they all got fun screen, t- a lot more screen time, fun moments with each other. Uh, to, they got a chance to prove why they're part of the best crew, the best ship. Um, and then on top of all that, you get some of the coolest action we've seen because it was directed by uh, Justin Lin, famous for the Fast and Furious. Wow, doing it, Fast and Furious. Uh, that's a whole different subgenre. Uh, Fast and Furious movies. Um, which, as soon as he was attached to director, a lot of fans wrote it off as, oh, it's going to be stupid action movies because he did Fast and Furious movies. And it's like, well, it's not just that. Like, the action's cool. And, yeah, it's, it's uh, Kirk, you know, doing jumps and flips on a dirt bike. But there's more to it than that. Uh, it, it's a great, great movie. Um, it's just one of those – me and Scott saw this at least once. I think I ended up seeing this three or four times just because I love this movie so much. Uh, it is entertaining start to finish. It does not lag. It doesn't draw. It gives you a lot of cool insight into like the history of uh, Starfleet and the Federation, which I always love hearing more about. We got a we got a Mako reference at one point. Um, yeah, it, it's it's awesome. I love this movie so much. That's um, why it's tied for my first favorite movie. Yeah, the, the the only thing that I think they they could have explained a little more on camera because you really got to pay attention to understand what's going on with this is how the machine that has kept um, uh, the Carl. captain it, Idris Elba, Elba and his, his two crewmates alive for so long, how it works um, because it imparts traits of whatever, you know, species it's, it's draining to keep them alive. So they've literally been doing this to, to dozens of alien races, which is why they look so different and so alien. But then at the end of the movie, uh, Idris Elba starts to look human again. And that's because he's been basically just draining humans again. So his, his DNA is being restored back to human, um, you know, and then, and then which, which leads, it has a payoff. And then at the end, he finally sees his reflection when, you know, he and Kirk are in that, that giant Christmas ornament of a space station. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, he finally sees his reflection and it gives him pause for a moment. Um, but I don't think they do give a little bit of hint there in the movie. But once again, if if you're not paying attention, you'll miss it. Um, so I think they could have, could have brought what that machine does a little more to the forefront. They, they could have used a scene where, you know, uh, that's like, uh, Sulu or Chekhov or somebody or, you know, along with who are there in the camp, they, they find the machine, analyze it and give us a little bit more rundown on what it actually does. It is. Just gotta be negative, don't you? So you're trying to talk about how I love a movie, you just gotta point out all its flaws. Well, you know. Uh, I enjoyed the uh, 
um, when they get, I can't think of the name of it now. The Franklin? The Franklin. When they get the Franklin up and running again, and they talk yep. about how they were built in space, so they have to get uh, momentum and build up speed and reach basically terminal velocity, and they yep. just sort of fall off the edge of the cliff. To, to, to get the... Uh... Uh, to get the engines up and running, which I don't really remember exactly what the explanation was for that, but okay, it was dramatic. We're going to do an awesome jump in a spaceship and take off. And if you got to think about it more than that, you're a nerd. <laughs> and yes, I know I'm saying that too much of Star Trek fans. Uh, no, and again, that's why I love that movie. Uh, it was it was fun start to finish. It was entertaining. Great character moments. All the actors at the top of their game. Um, introduced some fun new characters. Jayla is an f- awesome character. And if we ever get a fourth movie, which we won't, uh, I'd love to see her actually on the crew. Uh, unlike Carol Marcus, who we invite to join the crew and in then, the darkness, and then she just fucking disappears. And there's no mention of her again. Never talk about her again. Yep. Uh, that's why you can skip into darkness completely and be fine. Yeah, uh, you can. But she's, she was a really fun addition to the cast. Uh, also, I see what you did there, Simon Pegg. Give yourself all the scenes with uh, Sophia Butella. I'm on to you. <laughs> yeah, but, I'm not but hating, if you skip, I'm on to you. <laughs> but, if, but if you skip into darkness, then you don't get to see um, the vengeance. And... It's okay, because you don't really get to see the vengeance in that damn movie anyway. I know. Oh, it's, the, it's, the it's big black. black Enterprise that's yeah. there for like one shot? Yeah, it's it's a black ship on a black background. You can barely see it. There's there's one good shot where it shows the Enterprise up against it, and you can actually see the size comparison because it's supposed to be a Dreadnought-class ship. Um, but once again, I really hate the trope of, hey, let's just give them a bigger ship. What? No. And it's got a giant that... space gun that we don't see fired. It's been done three times in Trek now because they had the uh, um, uh, I can't remember uh, Shinzon's ship in uh, in Nemesis, which was just this big fucking huge. Hey, it outguns us in every possible way. We're we're the underdog. We're just, it's David and Goliath to 2009. Hey, it's the Narada and we're a really small ship. It outclasses us in every way. It's David and Goliath to. Hey, it's the Vengeance. It's a destroyer. It's a dreadnought class ship. It outclasses us in every way. It's David and Goliath. Yeah, we get it. You can give us another damn new storyline. I'd say if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But two of those three examples are pretty broken. So never mind. Yeah, it's just like it's just, it's just like with the, uh, the 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 Star Wars reboots. Hey, let's just make a Death Star, but make it a full planet. Well, how does it turn and aim? Hey, don't worry about that. Well, how does it get a power source? Well, it, it, it takes the sun. Well, then, but what happens? Well, it puts the sun back. How does it? Ah, never mind that. So they just okay, movie that. three. We got to outdo the even bigger Death Star. What do we do? Um, really big Star Destroyers. Okay, it's the Star, yeah, yeah, it's a really big Star Destroyer. We've seen that. Okay, okay, it's a Star Destroyer, but it has a gun on the bottom of it, just like the Dreadnought in Star Trek. Uh, and we'll we'll say it can blow up a whole planet. Okay, so it's just a Death Star that blows up a planet. Uh, there's an armada of them. Okay, so just a lot of big ships. Just a lot of big ships, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, that'll work, sure. Yeah. Run to you, J.J. Abrams. <laughs> Figured out your formula. Yep. Yeah. But, uh, 
But no, I, I do. I love Beyond. And you're completely correct. You can go from 2009 straight to Beyond and not really worry about a thing. Um, there are some moments in uh, Into, Into Darkness that I do like. Um, I do like the opening sequence in Into Darkness. When they're they're running with the thing. Jim, what did you steal? I don't know, but they were bowing to it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, that that opening that was, it was a good opening sequence. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, uh, Sky yeah, that's, that's that's about it. In, into darkness, that I really really enjoyed. The rest of it's okay. I can watch it, but Carol Marcus in her underwear for no apparent reason other than other than to give us a shot of her in her underwear. Yep. <sighs> I don't All right, complain, then, Scott. Yep. <laughs> What's your favorite Trek movie, and why is it a motion picture? So, I, I had a really <laughs> hard time with this question. Which one is my favorite Star Trek movie? Because I don't really have a favorite Star Trek movie. Um, I have ones that I watch more than I watch others. Uh, if that makes any sense. Sure. Um, I mean, I like them all. Uh, I, I can definitely tell you my least favorite Star Trek movie. I know that one offhand. That's Star Trek V. Um, I never watched that movie. I can't stand that movie. Um, um, but like when I when I have when I think I want to watch Star Trek and I'm in the mood to watch a movie and not a series or a show or whatever, I kind of have three go-tos for me. Um, one is the motion picture. I do love the motion picture. I know I'm in the minority on this one, but I do love this movie. Um, uh, when, then when it comes to the original series uh, movies, uh, after that, it would be probably Star Trek VI. Uh, I'll go to that one next, just because it doesn't get a lot of playtime. Yeah, Star Trek Two is a great movie, and I and I watch it and I like it. But Star Trek Two gets played all the damn time. Everyone goes to Star Trek Two, so I've seen it eighteen thousand times. Um, and uh, but uh, Star Trek Six, you know, um, and then of course you got the Kelvin timeline movies, which the 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 first one, and the third one, which we just talked about. I love both of those. Um, and then See, it sounds uh, next... like you're just stalling because you don't want to tell us. I don't I, I don't I don't know which one's my favorite. It just it kind of depends one. on the mood I'm in. Phaser uh, then... to your head. Sorry, Klingon disruptor to your head. <laughs> oh god. Again, I don't know. again, just tell us why it's the motion picture. It, it... <laughs> you know, I'm starting to think you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, it it may be it. I would have to say my favorite. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and say it. My favorite Star Trek movie is the motion picture. I'm proud of you. It's a bold choice, Scott. Let's see how it pays off. Um, now I know a lot of people hate this movie. Um, you can't see it, but I'm raising my hand right now. <laughs> and and I know the reasons why people hate this movie. You know, people hate this movie. It's boring. It's dull. Nothing happens. And they're right and they're wrong. Um. Personally, one of the reasons I love this movie is because the the lion's share of it takes place on the ship. Uh, you get a lot of screen time on the bridge. Uh, don't get a lot of screen time in engineering, but it's okay. 
Um, some is some is there. Um, um, but yeah, the 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 bulk of this this series takes place on the ship. It's the first time that you get to see really much of Earth in the Star Trek universe, because in the original series, um, I don't think they ever went to Earth, like actually planet side Earth. Um, and uh, so you get to see Starfleet Command. You get to see you know the the shuttles coming in and out. Uh, in the director's cut, you get to see a nice nice shot of uh, one of the shuttles coming down and flying in and in and under the Golden Gate Bridge which I think is replaced in the TV version, the theatrical version. Um, uh, I, I, I do, I like the uniforms. I know they were a pain in the ass. Um, they're not as good as the monster maroons. I do love the monster maroons. Um, um, you, you get, you, you get a little bit of Klingons, which is fine. Um, but you get drama, you get interpersonal drama. You've got Kirk trying to regain, excuse me, his command. Um, these people coming back together. You get Janice Rand coming back um, from the original series. Eating with me, Decker. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Because <laughs> you're winning. <laughs> it's you know, Decker was a great character. Uh, he, you know, he he's the the son of Commodore Matt Decker from uh, um, the original series episode, um, the Doomsday Machine. Um, you get that wonderful that that I know you hate, but you get that wonderful like fifteen minute beauty shot pass of the Enterprise. You know, and what you he means s- is there's one shot that runs for fifteen minutes where we just slowly pan across the Enterprise and we just see the ship. And they show that ship. It's not actually fifteen minutes. We're exaggerating a little bit. I think it's like it two- is exactly. <laughs> Fourteen minutes and fifty-eight <laughs> seconds. See, not fifteen. So um, we, we repeat it every time we need to cut away to something. But you know, I love you get to see the ship. You get to see parts of the ship you've never seen before. A whole new redesign. I mean, they built these ships. They're going to show them off, uh, and and I love it. That's you know, um, it's part of the reason why. I like you know, you know, it's part of the reason why I think that Star Trek two and six work better than uh three and four um and that's because most of the action and two and six are on ships you don't go planet side they don't go doing this like that star trek three the ship is destroyed we're on the genesis planet quite a bit the stealing of the ship is 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 fun but then you know we get all that um four of course the ship's not there we're just in a really okay i got a i got a cat being a cat back here uh, but yeah, I love the motion picture. Uh, I watch the extended cut of it all the time. Uh, literally, the extended I think, cut has thirty-five more minutes of glorious <laughs> shots of the Enterprise. <laughs> but I would have to say, yeah, it is. It is my favorite. Uh, not that I don't watch others, but usually nine times out of ten, I'm like, you know what? I want to watch a Trek movie. I'll pop the motion picture in. Love that movie. Hey, it's a great movie to have on in the background because you start it up and, uh, oh, there's a thing in space and we're going to look at it. Cool. And then uh, about 15 minutes in, you look up and you're like, wait, what did I miss? Oh, no, there's a thing in space and we're going to look at it. Okay, cool. Gotcha. And then like an hour into the movie, you're like, wait, what did I miss? Oh, no, there's a thing in space and we're going to look at it. Gotcha. Okay. And then an hour and a half into the movie, it's, uh, what's going on? Oh, there's a thing in space and we're going to look at it. Gotcha. Okay. And then two hours into the movie is... (laughs) 
But the story is and not right that. Right about 15 minutes before the movie ends, we're like, oh, hey, we got to the thing in space now. Let's go look at it. <laughs> the end. <laughs> but that's not the story. The story is the interpersonal relationships of the crew. I saved you two boobless hours. You're welcome. <laughs> Sorry. It's his sled. <laughs> From when he was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> it's a probe from when we were kids. There, I saved you two boobless hours. All right, sorry, Scott. I'll stop talking. No, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, Voyager is Voyager. I'm just saying. Spoilers. Voyager, Voyager. six for for forty year old movie. Which, and in all honesty, the, the 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 prop. I'm gonna I'm gonna put put that in air quotes. The prop for Voyager 6 for V'ger was actually the test model for I think Voyager 2 because there was no actual Voyager 6 but one of the actual Voyager probes they contacted NASA so first of all um, when they built these sets they contacted NASA first and foremost when they were doing this movie and they said hey would you spare would, you, would any of your engineers like to come be technical consultants and help us design the sets for the new Enterprise and they said, fuck yeah. Because these engineers grew up watching the original series. The chance to actually be on the Enterprise, help design the Enterprise, they were all for it. So on the bridge, in engineering, and the transporter room. I can't remember if we get to see Sick Bay that much in, in, in that movie. I don't think we do. A little bit, not much. Um, but all the consoles, every switch and dial and monitor had a use. There was nothing there just because it looked good. The they those ships the, those stations were designed when Rand uh, the the actress that played Rand and I can't remember uh, Grace Lee Whitney when she came on set to do rehearsals for her transporter scene uh, one of the engineers took her onto the set with a manual for the transporter and they went over beam up procedures beam down procedures and emergency procedures she was going to use in the scene every switch and dial had a function. This set was not half-assed. It was all the way through. And they contacted the, the department of NASA that, that, was the, that was working with the Voyager program, and they said, hey, this is, this is what we're looking at. This is our story. We've got Voyager 6. Can we use your, your uh, prototype model for Voyager 2 that was used as the test bed for the electronics, the one, not the one that flew, but the one that you know, was static and stayed on Earth? Uh, can we use that as Voyager 6, as V'ger? And they said, fuck yeah. So that's not just a prop. That was that was the actual testbed model for the Voyager probe. Very it's a nice. great damn movie. Uh, look, there was a lot of effort into it. It was the big budget motion picture debut. It was, it was the first time in a while there was any new Trek at all. I get it, Scott. I, I get from your perspective why it's your favorite. And I don't begrudge you that it's your favorite, man. You like what you like and, and don't let people tell you otherwise. Um, in fact, that's that's why I was kind of nudging you to defend it because I know it's the movie of the franchise that probably gets shed on the most. Well, okay, second most. Um, yeah. The, um, okay. So I wanted, I wanted you to, to uh, because I know you're someone who really appreciates that movie and I knew you'd have a viewpoint the rest of us didn't. Uh, look, it's not for me. That doesn't mean it's it's uh, bad, and yeah. that's why I wanted you to get across, guys. So and did and a very I, good job. And I have to say, even though it's not for you, you did sit through it in the movie theater with me. <laughs> well, if you're gonna see a movie, you see it right. 
Also, I believe that was a lost bet I had to pay back. Uh, so it's, uh, it's also the last time I bet uh, Flanagan on the Super Bowl because I was like, every time I think about betting Flanagan again, I'm like, ah, well, this could lead to me ending up in a theater watching Star Trek The Motion Picture with Scott again. Hmm. <laughs> that well, is just... a wonderful deterrent for gambling. Maybe I should contact <laughs> Gambling and Gamblers Anonymous and see if, you know, in, instead of their meetings, maybe just people who come to Gamblers Anonymous, they just have to sit through Star Trek The Motion Picture with me. <laughs> Did you see uh, the size of that goddamn chicken? No, no, no. Uh, oh. space hand. Hang on, wait. No, no. If we're doing that, hang on, wait, everybody. Did you see the size of that goddamn chicken? Is it out in yeah. space? Let's go look for it for three hours. <laughs> Star Trek, the motion ba, ba, picture. Ba, 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 ba. Sorry. That's no chicken. It's a satellite. <laughs> Wait, I was gonna say conviction of chocolates. Before we completely ditch favorite movies, then uh, Scott, thank you for defending the motion picture. I appreciate that. Um, I know I talked about Beyond a lot, but I do want to give a shout out to my actual favorite Star Trek film. And in, going by Scott's criteria, uh, if you say okay, put in a Star Trek movie, my default film that I'm gonna put in is uh, from 1996, Star Trek: First Contact. Um, is and will forever be my favorite Star Trek movie. Although Beyond, I love Beyond. Um, the first Contact, I saw in theaters with my uncle. Another one of us being huge Trek fans, but I had a um, a nerd uh, in in my youth who was a big Trek fan who tried to get me into Star Trek. Uh, it didn't quite stick the first time around. Uh, he was he was ordered my proto Scott Cox. Um, shout out to James Spawn if you're listening. Uh, you, you, you gave it your best, buddy. It didn't quite stick, but you gave it your best. Uh, but he drug me out to see Generations, which I was confused and bored through most of. Uh, but having seen that, this was the next movie after that. Yeah, my uncle's like, yeah, let's go see Star Trek. And I was like, uh, okay, sure. Uh, I felt I was kind of primed because uh, I'd seen the previous one. And this one, dude, oh, my God. First Contact just knocks the ball right out of the park, man. And it works because of the same reason I say every Trek movie really works is you don't need to be a huge Trek fan to watch this movie. You can come into this blind. Everything you need to know is summed up and explained for you pretty succinctly and pretty quickly. You get great character moments. It is a great character study of John Luke Picard. Uh, but the, you've also got plenty of comedy when they when they get to Earth um, with the, the hero worship of um, um, Stephen Cochran. Yeah, uh, and and plenty of fun moments down there. Uh, Marina Sirtis getting drunk. <laughs> uh, you've got it. It has a very uh, um, it it balances tone. It doesn't take itself overly seriously. It's got great action moments. It has arguably one of the greatest villains in Trek history. The Borg are front and center in a motion picture, uh, which is great because they got lots of budget to do cool costumes for the Borg. Um, you've got. <laughs> some great lines from Worf. Uh, you've got Picard a little bit in action hero mode where, you know, at the end of the movie, Picard's wearing the uh, John McClane tank top kind of outfit. Um, yeah. Well, the just the whole allusions to Moby Dick. In fact, we actually have an entire scene that discusses it. Ahab, gotta get your whale. You know, in the end, Ahab died. I never read the book. Yeah, actually, <laughs> I never read it. <laughs> um, um. You get you get all there's an action sequence in the holodeck which is awesome. Yep. Uh, it was and has a, has a Voyager actor in it. Actually, there's two Voyager actors in this in this movie. The doctor, the doctor, and the other one. You got us. 
the uh, the Mater D from the holodeck thing. Remember the one that the board come in and he says, "Excuse me, gentlemen, do you have a reservation?" And they scan him and it disrupts the hollow matrix. I remember that part. I don't remember the actor. Yeah, it, it's Neelix from uh, from Voyager. All right. Out of makeup, obviously. Good for him. Um, it's directed by my boy Jonathan Frakes, aka uh, Riker. <laughs> the most gorgeous beard in the entire galaxy. Yes, Scott. That reminds me. Uh, when it comes to first contacts, there's a there's a there's a, a behind the scenes thing that that I saw once, and I don't remember what it was that I saw it on. It was either on some special that I had on VHS years ago, or it was on a DVD special from one of the DVD releases. I don't remember where I saw it, but it's so it's one of the scenes where Picard and Data, uh, along with uh, several unknown security people are walking, you know, through the, the halls of the quarters of the enterprise with the phaser rifles, uh-huh. you know, and they're, they're, they're looking for the Borg and they're trying, I guess they're trying to get to engineering and stuff. And they, they have it. And, but, but it's, it's between takes and Jonathan Frakes is directing and he's like, he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, I, I need it. I need it more manly. He goes, I want to be able to smell the testosterone I need. And so, so Brent Spiner goes, Oh, and he hands his phaser rifle off. He bends down, he pulls his boot off, pulls his sock off, balls his sock up, and sticks it down the front of his pants. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I don't remember where I saw that behind the scenes, but it was funny as shit. I love uh, some Brent Spiner. <laughs> um, it has a 92% critical rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, an 89% user rating, which what the hell's wrong with you people? Um, it, it is uh, so generations to put that in comparison. Generations has a critical review or a critical score of 47. So yeah. first contact is very much the wrath of Khan for the next generation crew. And that the first outing didn't quite go so well. The second outing. Okay. We did much better. Um, it also has, if we're going to go nerdy trivia, a green arrow connection. Uh, making his first, and as far as I know, only Star Trek appearance, we see Lieutenant Hawk in this movie. Yes. And as we all know, if you don't have a first name, your character is doomed to die. Uh, (laughs) Lieutenant Hawk, who has no first name, is played by Neil McDonough, who will later go on to play Dominic Dark in season four of Arrow, and he voiced the character of Green Arrow in the DC animated short called Green Arrow. Oh, hell. Yeah. That was him, wasn't it? Was also Dum Dum Dugan. Oh shit! Yeah, I mean, I remember Lieutenant Hawk, but I, I I forgot that it was him because he's like skinny and stuff. Oh yeah, he's very young. <laughs> he's very young and skinny. Wow, that is him. Oh shit! Because <laughs> you were saying he played Dominic Dark, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure Dominic sorry. Dark was played by the same guy that played Dum Dum Dugan. <laughs> yes, uh, Damien Dark, not Dominic. Sorry, my bad. Oh, well, uh, but no, yes, no, that that is that is Neil Madonna. Yep. Oh, holy shit! <laughs> I forgot that one. Uh, also has the the honor of giving Worf a '90s action movie uh, tagline to a kill when he blows up the uh, the Borg uh, thing that they're building on the reflector dish, and he gets the assimilate this. Yeah, actually, he blows up the deflector dish. Whatever it is, he blows up the dish thing in space. But before he does it, because it's an action movie of the 90s, he says, assimilate this. Which yep. I really want to know 
I want to be in the behind the scenes being like, okay, we're going to use the phrase to simulate this somewhere in the movie, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Who's going to say it and where? Oh, okay. Because um, I feel like everybody wants that line. See, I don't know. I, I get the opposite feeling from that. I get the feeling that they're, they're, they're filming that scene and Jonathan Frakes is doing his, no, no, more manly. Fine. Assimilate this. And yes, perfect. Do that. Yes. Were we rolling on that? Yes, perfect. In the can. We've got it. Moving is on. That, is, isn't that also when Jonathan Frakes, somewhere in there, he and um, Worf are having a conversation and he asks him how his little ship is? And oh, yeah. Yeah, Worf it was. Replies, it was little. Yeah. It's at the, the, it's at the beginning. During the battle with the Borg Cube, the um, Defiant. The Defiant. Uh, is they're part of the big armada fighting the cube, and it's it's uh, well, Worf's greatest moments. They're 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 battered, they're beat up, they've lost their weapon systems. His shields he's, are down. He's beating uh, the console. Yes, perhaps it is a good day to die. Rubbing speed, and then he gets beamed out. Uh, well, he's yeah. like, yeah, sir. There's another ship coming in. It's the Enterprise. Yeah, and then they and, and then we cut to Enterprise, and all we get is are the Defiant survivors beamed aboard? And he goes, yes, sir. And then Worf comes on, and he asks about the Defiance status, and he, and he says, adrift but salvageable. And then uh, Riker tough says, ship. tough little ship. Little. Little. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, it's, it is a great movie. Uh, look, it's it's. I think it's the best of the Next Generation crew films, and it is my personal favorite. Uh, again, because it, it works beautifully, whether you're a Trek fan or not. Uh, yep. That I think is really the hallmark of a great Trek film. Is you shouldn't be, you shouldn't have to be steeped in the lore and multiple seasons uh, to be able to understand these characters, to follow them on a journey. Uh, again, uh, Patrick Stewart fucking carries this movie, man. He is the heart and soul of this movie. He gives a performance of a lifetime in this movie, uh, and you don't need to have watched the entire previous, however many seasons of Next Generation. Uh, to know what's going on, they they sum up. They give you enough background, and you just go with it, and you just watch. You know, mesmerized by his performance. Um, well, at the I same mean, time, it does a really cool thing of it's time travel technically, but we're traveling to the past. But it's the past for the Enterprise crew, but for the audience, it's still the future. Yeah, it's so, still the future. Yeah, it's a really interesting time travel premise. Um, and. Yeah, and I mean, even though yeah, Picard does a really great job of of, of centerpiecing this movie and stuff. Brent Spiner does a remarkable job as well, counterbalancing that um, in this movie as a supporting actor. Um, you know, I mean, he, he has the, he has that great he has that that great moment you know there at the end when uh, when Picard you know basically you know tells him you know now and everything and he. Um, he says, you know, he looks at the the board queen. He says, resistance is futile, and he and he, he yeah, they, hits the they, the coolant. You to think he's going to betray the Enterprise crew for the, the the board queen who says she can make him a real boy. Yeah, and then at the last minute, it's a double double cross, and no, nope, I was really a good guy the whole time. Yeah, yeah. but then um, he asks him, weren't, weren't you tempted for a moment? How long? It's like point zero two seconds or something like that. Uh, 0. 0.73 seconds. Or Scott will know it. Anyway, for an, for an uh, Android, that is an eternity. I'm gonna I'm gonna respectfully disagree with you both, though. Okay. And 
We're going to go say that, cut your mic off now. Uh, uh, no, I'm going to say that uh, James Cromwell as Zephram, Zephram Cochran is the best part of that movie. He does a wonderful job. As someone I, who loves Enterprise, I can't argue with you there. It's hilarious because one of my one of the my favorite parts with that is when they actually launch into space. Yep. And uh then the Enterprise all of a sudden shows up and he kinda has that like holy shit yeah, moment. Son of a Yeah. <laughs> oh he she's just coming to see us off and it's like, jeez, yeah. look at the size of that thing, you know. Yeah. So it's kind of it's fun. I think that's kind of fun. I like the way his how he portrays that character. So well, I mean and it, yeah. Uh, even even what what's her name Ruby I think is her name right um, yeah when she's on the Enterprise she's like you know how big is this thing he he, he says twelve you know twelve hundred meters or something encompassing twenty four decks she goes it took me six months just to scrape together enough metal for a four meter cockpit <laughs> yep uh I love that because at the same time it's one of the darkest Trek movies with the Borg but at again balance the the B story if you call it that is literally humanity's first uh, ma- um, not mock, uh, warp test. So yep. you get the, the darkness of the Borg and, and resistance to futile and all that interbalanced with mankind daring to reach for the stars and that optimism that Trek is, is known for and beloved for. Uh, Cochran the whole time, he's, he's a drunk. He's, he's doing this not because of any noble thing, but because he wants to get rich off of it. Yep. Uh, it's not to benefit all of mankind. It's to benefit my pocketbook. Uh, and then that moment when he gets in, into the space and he sees the future laid out before him and that this is what your invention is going to lead to. Even in the, that moment, all the the bravado, the drunken, uh, the drunkenness, the the comedy as a as a defense mechanism stripped away from him. He is just dumbstruck with wow. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's great, and that's again, it, it beautifully balances um, the optimism and hope you want to see in Trek uh, because it defines Trek with a darker storyline. Because you know the ship just keeps getting taken deck by deck by deck. It's they're fighting and struggling uh, a futile gesture, um, and then. And I always love this. We get a big piece of Trek history, uh, not told to us, but shown to us when we see mankind making first contact with the Vulcan. Yep. Um, speaking of that scene, so earlier today I was watching, of course, like I said, I was watching uh, In a Mirror Darkly today, part two. But earlier today I, I watched, of course, part one. Um, and at the beginning of In a Mirror Darkly, it's, it's an Enterprise episode. Um, but it starts out with that first contact on, uh, um, on earth, uh-huh. uh, at, at the end of, of, of first contact. It starts out with first contact. And then of course, you know, uh, Zephram Cochran standing there, the Vulcan comes out and he says, live long and prosper. Um, and then, you know, the Zeph- Zephram Cochran is trying to do the Vulcan hand salute and he can't do it. So he, in the movie, he just reaches out to shake hands. But in this, it cuts to a close-up of his hand. And he reaches in and pulls out a shotgun because it's the mirror universe. Yeah. Um, and I was looking at that and I was, as I was watching it. And I was curious. I'm like, did they actually get, you know, uh, uh, the actor? And I, I'm blank, blanking on his name now. Um, did they actually get him, you know, have him come in? And they didn't. Um, they, they literally, because once it diverges... They literally use the the footage from Enterprise or from First Contact uh, for that up until it diverges, and then it then they they, they don't show his face anymore. 
Yeah, was, she took a close-up shot of the yeah, shotgun. But I was reading when they filmed the uh, the alternate, you know, the where it, where it diverges, when they filmed that, they filmed that on film stock. They used film cameras for that versus the digital cameras they shot the rest of Enterprise with so that the footage would match with, nice. with the original yeah. uh, first contact shots. I that James nice. Cromwell, by the way, is yeah. James Cromwell, thank you. I, yeah. Um also in Enterprise, you know, in, in the movie when they're they when uh, LaForge describes the statue to, <laughs> yes. to Zephyr Cochran. You know? You're standing in almost the exact spot where the statue yeah. Be. yeah. Your hand is reaching out, you know, like as if you know, reaching for the future and stuff. And uh uh then of course they have to phaser him because he's trying to run away. You told him about the statue? <laughs> but uh, in Enterprise, if, if you'll look, in Archer's quarters, uh, Archer has a, uh, a scale model of that statue on, his, on one of his bookshelves. Nice. Can we talk about the, the unsung hero of not only this movie, but of all of Shrekdom? Lieutenant Barclay. Dwight God. Schultz. Barclay. A.K.A. Howlin' Mad Murdoch. Yep. See now that there there is a very unsung character in Trek because he has a great story arc over the entire history he's been in Trek, but it's scattered through like two different series and a movie. I just love his comic timing and his his goofiness, his his because he's he's so like awestruck by Seth from Cochran. He keeps looking at him and smiling like yeah he like he wants to ask him to sign something for him, but he won't because he's he's you know, supposed to be professional and just, he's so great in the whole movie. Uh, and anytime anyone from the A team pops up somewhere, it makes me happy. So. Yeah, <laughs> it was very good. And of course. You know, first contact is not the first time that we see Zephram Cochran on screen. Oh. Oh. Zephram Cochran is an original series episode as well. Is it James Cromwell? It is not James Cromwell. Doesn't count. <laughs> but um the reason he's still alive is because because Zephram Cochran actually leaves um at some point prior to Enterprise, the series Enterprise. Uh he leaves in like a warp two ship. Uh, and is never seen again. Uh, he actually crash landed on a planet where this 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 alien entity uh, basically healed him uh, and kept him alive all these years as her as as her companion. She was just you know one of those all powerful lonely entities that the original series was famous for. Scott, Scott, um, Scott. yes, yes, it's an alien that that heals him and keeps him alive. It's a gold. It's a what? A gold. Well, no, no, it's not parasitic. Oh. It doesn't go inside him. Oh, fine. Although at, at the end, they do kind of merge. It's weird. Um, you're just trying to link stars together. Stargate, oh, Star no, Trek. No. It's all, all one big story. Oh, sorry. Yeah. The gate builders were actually Vulcan. Surprise! So the, the actor that, that played Zephram Cochran in that episode uh, was a lot younger than uh, uh, Cromwell. Yeah. Cromwell. Uh-huh. yeah. Um, and so when Kirk and them were talking about him still being alive, he says, yeah, I was actually a lot older, you know, when I first got here, but the, thanks to the alien, I've kind of de-aged a bit. I'm, I'm, you know, physically better than I was, um, which gives us the ability to have James Crom- Cromwell without having any, any actual kind of continuity error with the original series. 
So cool. <laughs> yes, Jay. Oh no, I'm just here. Okay, Listening. I'm sorry. That's fine, dude. Uh, so here's the thing. Um, I don't think we're gonna cram our second topic into today. Yeah, this so, one but that's okay. That's fine. I knew this was gonna happen. That's why. That's why I told Jay to pick one topic. Um, so Jay, give me your second favorite Star Trek movie. Um, it's 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 uh, definitely the Wrath of Khan. Um, uh, I know it's like the. I don't want to say like the popular choice. I mean, it is the popular choice, but it's my choice. Uh, I love that movie for a lot of different reasons. Uh, but one of them has to be the first time that we actually get to see sort of like some sort of battle between ships. And I like seeing different kinds of ships and having the Reliant as a different style than, um, the enterprise I think was really cool. Um, I just kind of the whole story and, uh, sort of the pulling the wool over Khan's eyes of getting the enterprise running back up and running again. Um, Oh, I can't think of her name. Is it no Kirstie Alley? Is that right? Yeah. Savick. Yep. Her character in it. Uh, (laughs) when, when she's confused, by how long it was going to take to get the Enterprise back up and running. Yep. And he's like, oh, you know, classic well, trick. Well, no, maybe, uh, yeah, they were they were beaming in. She's like, but Captain Spock said we were immobilized. It was going to be two days. Come, come, Lieutenant. You of all people go by the book. By the book? Regulation 46A. If transmissions are being monitored in combat, no uncoded messages on an open frequency. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I like it a lot. Well, don't forget... That's also is uh, is it the opening of the movie where we get the I think it's the first time we see the, um, the Kobayashi Maru. Yep, uh, which is such a great opening sequence and such a great fake out because um, we, you know, we don't know it's a simulation and it's on the bridge and it looks awesome and then you know that's it's it, all hell's breaking loose and we're about to get blowed up and then the big doors open giant white light and in comes God I mean Kirk sorry. <laughs> People die. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, because uh, they they tease that out throughout the movie. Is is you know, well, well, you passed it. How did you pass it? Like how he passed it is kind of teased out a little bit till he finally just confesses. To, I didn't cheat. <laughs> just changed the rules of the game. Changed the conditions of the test, which is one thing I don't like in uh, uh, two thousand nine. Okay. I don't like how they showed that. Sleeping with an Orion slave girl mm-hmm. to win favor, so she'll put in a new subroutine for you. No, I'm fine with that. Oh, okay. okay, that doesn't bother me. <laughs> okay. What bothers me is his whole flippant attitude for it. He's eating the apple and everything. <laughs> no, that's okay. Yeah, whatever. I don't like that. I love that scene. Pine nails I, that yeah. scene. I, hate I do. That scene. Should I, we be worried? Nah. Nah. Thing has a pause up. The target. Should we be worried now? Nah. Nah. I mean, yeah, it's funny. It's got humor, but I don't. I never saw it going down that way. Yeah, he reprogrammed it so it was possible to rescue the ship, not so that it was blatantly obvious that he reprogrammed the simulation. You know, it's like, hey, screens go down. Now everything comes back up and the rules don't apply anymore. Hey, one torpedo each. Hey, look, things blow up. I mean, literally, that's like walking up to a teacher and going, here's my test. Uh, here's the cheat sheet I used. 
Thanks. Well, I guess they interpret it more as it wasn't that he he made it so that the conditions were such that he could win, but he 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 in realizing that it was designed to be there's no way to win this. Uh, his his way of circumventing that was was that was his passing the test was was circumventing the entire test itself. Yeah, uh, I, and I, 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 you, you can still like okay. That's it. look. It's perfectly fine to, to quibble over that, but I, I do love what it leads to. Uh, which you know, if you love character drama, uh, the conversation that uh, Spock and Kirk have at his not his court martial, but his his whatever his trial the tribunal, yeah, tribunal, yeah. Because um, that's when it comes out. You know, it's designed not to be one. Yes, it's designed to show you a no one scenario. I don't believe yep. in no one scenarios. Like that's such you. a great. That little dialogue has changed. Like that, so perfectly encapsulates those two characters. I love it. It does. I, I yeah. That that whole the scene after that, I'm completely fine with. I love that. I just I, and I, I I'm okay with him. You know, using his connection with with her to slip a subroutine in that would change the conditions of the test. But I don't like the flippancy of it. I don't like the the blatant you know cheating of it. Uh, I, I, I just okay. wish it was, it just made stuff that so was just a little easier, you know, that he that he could have a winning strategy. That's fair. Uh, um, it's also one of my favorite moments in Star Trek Three when uh, they're watching the Enterprise go down, and, and Kirk has a moment of, "Oh God, Bones, what have I done?" Yeah. And, and Bones, in his very you know Star Wars Bones way, what you always do, Jim, take certain death and turn it into a fighting chance. It's a great line. It is. Turning um, death into a fighting chance to live. Yeah, it, it is. It's great. I also enjoyed the the part where the Reliant and the Enterprise are in that nebula. Mm-hmm. And um, they kind of recognize that Khan is only thinking two-dimensionally and yep. not three-dimensionally. And it just kind of like opens up a whole new thing. But I always... One thing that always bugged me, and not like... Not like with just Star Trek, but a lot of movies that take place in space. This is my, like, Scott Cox moment of this. But, like, how everything is correctly oriented. On the same plane. Yeah, and, like, Star Trek, the 2009 one kind of did not, it did not do that. Um, they Like, they were kind of all over the place yeah. with it, with, like, their camera work and, like, relative like relative to other things in space you could be in different sort of orientation but like yeah the reliant and i understand that there's technical things behind it as to like why you know you're shooting it that way but you're in space and there's no reason that the reliant and the enterprise should have been sort of top up the way they both were you know what i mean and i think that would I mean, I think it would make for kind of enjoyable viewing to see, like, some sort of space battle where everything was not on the same plane and not oriented the same direction. Yeah, yeah that, that was a good scene. Um, you know, because the orders all stop, and the orders helm to, to Z minus 10,000 meters, so they just go straight down relative, yeah. to the, relative to the plane of battle. And... Uh, um, uh, one of my favorite lines in, in two was always, uh, you know, when uh, when when they get back to the bridge and Spock's got the tactical display of uh, Enterprise and Reliant on opposite sides of Regula, um, um, you know, and and Spock says, you know, she can still outrun us, 
and outgun us. And he says, but there is the Mutara Nebula at 186 Mark V. And he looks over, he goes, Scotty, can we make it inside? He goes, the Energizer's bypassed like a Christmas tree, so don't give me too many bumps. No promises on your way. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. yeah. It's, no, like, it's, it's just, yeah. It's, it's a classic it, one to pick, I guess, so. Never, don't feel bad about that. Like you said, it's it's the popular choice, but it's it's the popular choice for a reason. Yeah, uh, especially if you're you're you know marathon and watching a bunch of them. Like you go from motion picture to this one, it's like, oh yeah, okay, this is more, more like it. Like this is more what I was in the mood for. And uh, Roddenberry wasn't a huge fan of it. He didn't like the the militarization of Starfleet. He was very much against. Uh, yeah. To which I say, blood out your ass. It's a much better movie. Uh, sorry, it's entertaining. Uh, everyone isn't dressed in some random shade of bluish gray or a lighter gray or a grayer gray uh, with the white background. And, sorry. Uh, color palette of one is so goddamn boring. Um, <laughs> it, you know, it has the weird stuff. It has the uh, the yeoman whistle. Uh, in space, which I don't quite understand, but hey, it, it's a prop that looks cool. Uh, it was the defining uniforms for pretty much that whole series going forward. Yeah, Scott, correct me if I'm wrong on that. I'm sure. No, they used the monster maroon all the way up until six. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, something that's really interesting uh, in 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 that started in, in Star Trek Four. But you really see it in Star Trek Six, because um, if you know, if you look at when you watch Star Trek Six, um, the scenes in the engine room with Scotty, uh-huh. um, it's the uh, it, it it's the next generation engine room. They just oh. use next generation sets. Um, it's filmed from a different angle and it's dressed differently, but it's the same warp core. Nice um, and. In that movie, remember when you have the uh, the the admirals from Starfleet? Uh, they they go to see the the president of the Federation, you know, played by the incomparable Red Foreman. Uh huh. Um, if you'll look in the the background of the scene, the president's office is a redress of ten forward. Nice. Huh. Yeah, that's a there's a very long tradition of Trek reusing sets. Uh, they do not let anything go to waste. I think um, the Phoenix um, uh, capsule is is reused in at least one episode of Enterprise as not the Phoenix. Uh, yeah, yeah there's, there's, there's lots of that going around. They uh, never let a set go to waste. Yep. Can't let a good set go to waste. <laughs> not when we're on a budget. Uh, I think, uh, uh, actually, uh, First Contact they were going to change out the uniforms, but they kept going back and forth on what style to use. So, like, the reason Jordy's uniform has the weird, like, pushed-up sleeve undershirt thing mm. is that the, the costume he's wearing wasn't made for him. It was made for, it was like, Voyager or one of the shows that was already yeah. switching over to that style. Uh, so D- they literally borrowed uniforms from the show. Yeah, D, D- Space Nine. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, Voyager they, never changed uniforms. Yeah, they just borrowed uniforms from DS9, so they didn't quite fit the actors right, yep. which led to the uh, pushed-up sleeve Jordy uniform. 
that Jonathan yeah. Frakes talks about. Like there were a couple days where they couldn't shoot him below the knees because his uniform rode up too much. <laughs> but there's uh, the, yeah. So that's a long tradition of just recycling well, stuff on the track sets. Well, if Jonathan Frakes would stop stepping over furniture to sit down. Hey, hey. man. <laughs> you put that stupid suit on and try to sit down like a normal human being. I dare you. I'm just saying, he just like hiked his leg up and over chairs so often. It's because someone showed him AC Slater sitting backwards on a chair and said, no one can make that cooler. He goes, oh yeah? Hold my space beer. (laughs) It also helps when you're like, you know, seven foot 12 or some shit. (laughs) Watch me grow a beard between seasons and come back and refuse to shave it. It's like, nope, I got a beard now. Uh, Okay. So Rucker has a beard now. Because when you're Jonathan Frakes, you're just that badass. Speaking of uh, Riker with a beard and the movies, there's a discrepancy in insurrection. Okay, here we go. Get it uh, out. Remember, uh, in insurrection, um, Riker and Troy kind of start their their uh, relationship back up again. Because uh-huh. they get uh, young again, they go through puberty again. Yeah, and uh, he kisses her, and she pushes him away and says, you know, yuck! And he goes, I kiss you, and you say yuck? And she says, I've never kissed you with a beard before. And it's not true, because in the uh, Next Generation episode where we meet Riker's transporter twin, he had a beard, because Riker on, you know, Jonathan Frakes playing both roles, um, uh, uh, Thomas Riker and Deanna Troy kiss. Uh, actually, that was Thomas Riker, so she still has in kids Will Riker, so technically she's correct. <laughs> nope, they kiss the same. You, you don't learn kissing at that age. Oh, have you kissed both Riker brothers, Scott? And you're yes, holding out this whole show? Yes, I have. All right, kids, come back next week for Kiss and Tell with Commander Scott. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I still say if you've kissed one, you've kissed one, you've kissed them both. Well, you know, Jonathan Frakes and I had a wonderful conversation about beards when I got to meet him at LexCon, so. How did he yeah. kiss with the beard? Um, well, we kind of got caught in each other's. It was like a, uh, or Schwartz's got messed up. So. <laughs> Did you have to put your foot on his knee and then press, push off? Yep. Yes. <laughs> That's why the line got so long. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. That's was not so, the only okay. thing that got long. Oh. Hey-o! <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, well, with that, uh, we're going to wrap up today's episode. It looks like we got a topic for next week already good to go. Um, <laughs> see, this is why I say one topic per episode. Uh, but it's, it's fine. If we're gonna, we'll be back. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed this. Let us know what's your favorite Star Trek movie. Um, why is Scott wrong about motion picture? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, why is Jade is picking all the popular movies? I don't know. Let us know. Um, <laughs> let us know <laughs> how many episodes uh, does bearded Riker kiss Deanna Troy we need you guys to deep dive through the series and let us know uh, <laughs> look forward to your answers uh, and come back for next week when Scott will tell us all about kissing the Riker brothers uh, until then thank you for sticking with us this long uh, this has been your weekly nerd alert